This is an ABC podcast. Oh, they said we wouldn't get here. All the naysayers last year, when I wandered into the ABC and I said, hey, I want to start me a podcast. And they went, oh, yeah, what's it going to be called? And I said, it's going to be called the Sammy J Snack Pack Podcast. It's going to be a collection of fun little chats and interesting tidbits that people can binge on their short commute. And they were like, oh, yeah? They went, okay, Sammy, we'll let you do it. But you know what? You won't make it past episode 30. I went, you want to make a bet? And they went, sure, million bucks. Well, my friends, here we are at episode 30, and I expect the cheque will be in the mail from Ida Buttrose if I survive this one. Thanks for sticking with me. It's been a big, fun journey. We're at the start of a big, fun year and thrilled to be back with you with some very special guests this week. And I'm just saying that. You know, people in the media often say, oh, very special guests, and they don't mean it, and they don't believe it. Today, we genuinely have some special guests. John Marsden, my favourite author, one of the most formative influences in my life growing up, joining us to talk about learning and how we learn and whether we still learn as an adult. Plus, Adam Hills beaming in all the way from the UK and Georgie Coughlin talking to her past self. But first, let's go to the heart of the matter. Let's go straight to Broadway, where Hamilton, the musical, of course, has sort of redefined modern musicals. I know I've talked about Hamilton on the podcast before, but it's coming to Australia. It's already here. It's going to Melbourne soon. It's going to have a whole lot more eyeballs on it. And in particular, those eyeballs will be looking at the props that are in that show. How do you make props for the theatre? Who makes the props for the theatre? Well, one man, I wouldn't say he's got a monopoly on it, but he's got more experience than most. His name is Jay Duckworth. He is a proptologist. He's been doing prop work for film, stage and television for over 40 years. And he's the guy who created all the original props in Hamilton itself, plus so many other shows. And I'm very excited to have him here. Hey, Jay Duckworth, what are you up to? Oh, Sammy J. I am sitting here with my milky cup of tea and my Sammy J snack pack just ready for this opportunity. Well, what a thrill. I hope uh, there's enough snacks in there to last the duration of our chat. Jay, you must have made some weird stuff in your time. What's the the most obscure prop request that has come your way? Well, the John Lithgow was playing King Lear in Shakespeare in the Park, and he wanted to eat a steak. He wanted a big, thick, big steak. And because it was outside and it was hot, I knew I couldn't use a steak. So what I did is I cut out a watermelon in a steak shape, and then I covered it with icing tint. So it looked brown and grilled from the outside, but as soon as you cut into it, it was that perfect red. And I got the the biggest compliment of my career when he turned to me and said, I hope my uh, performance is as good as the steak. And I was just, like, blown away. Gee, you could make a, you could make a killing in the food ads as well for fast food chains where you have to glaze it all and make it look delicious. Or vegetarians. Mm. Oh. Hey, Jay, so when it comes to Hamilton, that's a very big world to be asked to create. Did you have more pleasure sourcing things or making things from scratch? I think it was making things from scratch. Uh, the candles on the candle cart that comes out, uh, those were so big because of electronics we needed inside. I needed to turn candle bases on a lathe, and I didn't have a lathe, and I had to make them out of foam. So what I did is I turned my drill press into a vertical lathe and uh, turned turned about 116 
candle bases on a drill press. It was crazy. There's also an incredible scene. It's no spoilers for people because this is a historical story, so everyone knows how the story of Hamilton uh, ends, potentially, with a fatal duel. But before that, there's some infidelity. There's a heartbreaking scene in which Eliza Hamilton, his scorned spouse, burns his letters. And I've seen this show in Sydney. There's real flames on stage. How is that achieved from a safety and prop perspective? It's absolutely embarrassing because what we tried first off was LEDs and a little smoke, and it just didn't work. And the stage manager was like, why don't you just burn it? (laughs) So we had to find paper that was a proper weight and uh, a proper size because it has to burn for two minutes and nine seconds Mm. and then go out so the scene is black because it it ends in a blackout. So, So the first one lights and it burns that exact amount of time, but the rest of the letters go down the front chute of the coal scuttle, so they're never touched. So it, it was really kind of just a wonderful thing that happened by accident and just obvious. I am chatting to Jay Duckworth, propologist or proptologist. Hang on, is there a T there, Jay? Help me out here. Yes, sir. There is, there is a T. Because sometimes I have, to pull, I have to pull props out of nowhere. Indeed, he's the magician behind not just Hamilton but so many other things. In your career, Jay, when you look back on it, uh, is this where you were heading as a, as a schoolboy? If you told your teachers you were going to make fake flames, real flames and fake watermelon steaks, would they have laughed you out of the building? Uh, yeah, because I was a horrible student and uh, I just was, a you know, the class clown. But the more that I started studying and the more I started doing theater, it, it became something that I fell in love with because every three months you're working on something new. Nothing becomes stale and you're able to create something new all the time. How hard is it watching shows that you've been involved in, like Hamilton, take place overseas in this pandemic era? I'm assuming that travel is less of a thing. Are you still having to keep a close eye on it? Or is it really once you've designed and created the masterpiece, you have to trust others to carry on your work? Yeah, that, uh, you have to trust others to go ahead and uh, you, you make a book up, uh, like it's called a Bible for a show, mm-hmm. and it gives all the information. And it's like sending your kid off to school. You, you, and, and every place that I've seen it is just done incredibly well. And here in New York, uh, the, you know, so many shows are shutting down again because no one is following mass protocols. And so I'm so happy to see that Australia is, is getting, is getting uh, the theatres back open. That's really amazing for you guys. We are so excited to have it here. And, of course, we've been very respectful. I mean, sure, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton is now killed by a jar of Vegemite, not a bullet. But I'm sure you ex- appreciate that we had to make some changes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that in the rehearsal notes, and I was like, yep. that, that makes sense. Okay, well, we have your blessing. That coming. <laughs> Jay Duckworth, love your work from afar. Thank you so much for your time uh, today. Sammy J, you're the best. Honest to God. You be good, and I'll talk to you soon. This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. This is a moment now. This is a real moment, because on my breakfast radio show that I host in Melbourne, last year I started a series of conversations with well-known celebrities, asking them questions about their future self so that I could then return to them in future and hold them to account. And they all said yes. I'm sitting on all this audio from those conversations, but I know that all of them assumed that I wouldn't follow them up. They just went, oh, yeah, quick chat on the radio with Sammy J, whatever. They did not take into account my level of commitment, 
my level of tenacity, my dogged determination to complete the loop, which is why I'm going to welcome Georgie Coglin to the Snack Pack, television presenter, performer, who you may well know as the former co-host of The Project. But then in August last year, she announced she was departing regular broadcast TV for something of a more stable life, living in regional Victoria. Let's find out how that's gone down for her. Georgie Coughlin, are you ready to revisit yourself in future me? It's a little bit daunting because my memory at best of times is not great, Sammy. <laughs> um, I can't even remember what I well, committed to, promised and said I was going to do, Sammy. Don't worry, that's what recording devices are for. I've got all your words right here. I've got to ask before we jump into your answers from then, Georgie, how are you going? I'm well, Sammy. I... I'm gonna. Re- I'm not going to tell you how I've been because that might link to yep. one of the Ooh. questions. So you're still a professional broadcaster, I can tell. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm very. I'm happy. I'm on the farm. I was darning some school uniforms on the couch yesterday and oh. reflecting on how I'm loving the slower pace of life. So I have to report all is good. I'm so happy to hear that and I'm so happy to hear your voice. But I've got to say, I think you've already lost a point from your first response when I asked you to predict one thing about future self. Have a listen to this, Georgie Coughlin. So, dear future me, number one was, I want to be on holiday, Sammy, on a beach when you call me back. Georgie Coughlin, you just told me you're on a farm. <laughs> oh, well, does it count that I did go to beautiful Port Ferry for three weeks? Over, well, or does that, does yeah, that like, I'll allow count? it. I but I, I never intended this to be like a point-scoring game. So, you know, you win anyway, Georgie. But I'm glad you got to the beach. Okay, so we, I did get to the beach. So it's sort of, sort of a half tick maybe yeah, there. Yeah, brilliant. This next one, though, you're going to come back swinging here. I asked you who might win the grand final last year, and this is what you said. I think it would be the Mighty D. There you go. The oh, Mighty D's all yes. the way. All the way. Oh. I do remember clocking that at the time, Sammy J, <laughs> when they won. I was very happy for my husband, but I was probably happier that at least that I had achieved something for you. Great. Have you been feeling uh, more free to do more exercise? I have, Sammy. Um, yeah. I think I've got a terrible feeling this is leading to something well, that I did promise, though. This is what you had to say. I want to be able to run 10 kilometres, Sammy, and preferably in an event. Oh, bang. See, yeah. we've hit the ground terribly. <laughs> well, here's the reveal. I was going so well, Sammy. Yeah. So I had my, my goal in mind and I was running about three or four times a week. And I probably wasn't up to 10K, but it'd be sort of six to eight. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Port Ferry and I thought I'm going to run all along the beach. Ooh. And then I got COVID. Oh, God. Georgie, <laughs> that, is, that is a valid reason to have failed on any goal for any of us in the last two years. Don't worry about that. So there sort of just there sort of goes my goal. I was I was hit really bad. It, I was very unwell. Couldn't mm. do anything. It's one of those people that unfortunately got the the the, the yucky strain, whatever it is. So there there goes my running. But I would like to say that I did my maiden post COVID run two days ago, and almost died. Oh, <laughs> but I'm okay. But you're back on your feet. I'm back on my feet, but oh. I survived. So the rebuilding process has begun, Sammy, with the fitness. I'm happy to hear that. I'm chatting right now to Georgie Coglin, the wonderful Georgie Coglin, who was our first ever guest on Future Me six months ago, and six months have passed, so she's confronting her former self and doing it beautifully, Georgie. Do you, do you tune into the project ever still, or does that feel like sort of too much of a recent part of your life? 
Oh, no, definitely. Definitely have it on, usually in the background when I flip now between Project and, and ABC News and have it on to make sure I know what's going on, have a bit of a chuckle. Yeah, it's like it's like looking at on old friends and just making mm. sure that they're they're all going well and, and you know, doing well, such a wonderful job. So definitely still tuning off on the couch. Well, speaking of old friends, uh, back when we were chatting, uh, a certain couple by the name of J-Lo and Ben Affleck had just got back together and I asked you whether you thought they might still be together when we next spoke and this is what you had to say. Absolutely not. That's very, very forceful, wasn't it? Very. And at the Super Bowl yesterday, they were with professions of love for the whole world to see. So, you know, love found a way. Love found a way or we have two very good actors, Sammy. I don't (laughs) know what's going on there, but I wish them well. They are clearly... It's clearly working for them. Georgie, what else is working for you is the fact that you are an incredible singer, something that you didn't get to do as much with your broadcasting duties. And yet when I asked you what you hoped your next TV appearance would be like or the last one to have happened before we spoke, this is what you had to say. So I'm going to go that it was an absolute hit and then I'm on a high. And Georgie... I can confirm that was the case because I was watching Carols by Candlelight when you got to make your debut performance. How did that feel before Christmas? <laughs> oh, Sammy, it was it was honestly almost like a bit of an out-of-body experience. I think as you get older, things become bigger to you and you feel like you've got more to lose, but then they're actually more magical at the same time. So I was so nervous, Sammy, behind the scenes. Here I am. And there's all of these incredible people walking around me and Marina Pryor. Oh, you're very naughty having that grab. Here it is. And this is Georgie at the carols. Oh, no, no. And all the frozen cast and... It was a so moment. Look, was... I was watching with a tear in my eye, not just it was a beautiful song, but also knowing that that was something that you know, was so special to you to be able to do. It was pretty precious, I have uh, to say, Sammy. And I had my daughter and my and, and my hubby in the audience, so it was. I felt very, very lucky to do it. Georgie, with time spinning by, this was the final thing that you promised yourself and perhaps oh, the most dramatic moment. Have a listen to this. Okay, I do love Elton John, Yellow Brick Road. I want to learn one piece of music on the piano to accompany myself because I want to do more live singing. Georgie, have you been tinkering oh. away on the piano? Wow. Yeah. Well, look. I need to be honest here, Sammy. I I am a person that works to a deadline. Yep. So knowing that I was going to speak to you, I'm like, oh, that's right. Why did I commit to that? But you did because you have <laughs> delivered us this little grab from yourself last night. Have a listen, listeners. I should have listened to my old man. Georgie Conklin, you have come face to face with your former no, self and you have smashed it. I know she would be very proud of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Georgie Coughlin, incredible. Thank you for revisiting your former self. You're listening to the Sammy J Snack Pack with me, Sammy J, and I was pretty excited to get some mail this week via the Snack Pack mail bag. This one's from Lisa, who wrote to me and said, Hey, Sammy, I like your podcast. In fact, I binged it while I was recently on holidays. Some days I'd be on a morning walk with a huge grin on my face because of something funny you said or a hilarious guest you'd had on the program. However, oh dear, there's always a tickle and a slap, isn't there? Now that the music has changed for season two of the podcast, I think I want the old music back. There was something so very perfect about that music and the podcast, like they were meant for each other. Or maybe I'm just afraid of change. Thank you, Lisa. Look, you know, last year we did get a few people saying that the elevator-style music that I personally composed was a little bit too chill. Last week, yes, yes, we mixed it up. Maybe we went a bit too far. Maybe we made it more of a disco. I don't know. But what do you think of this right now? 
because I am feeling this, Lisa, and I hope you are too. Listeners, if you want to take a vote on which backing music we should use for the Sammy J Snack Pat podcast, I want this to be democratic. I want you to enjoy your time with me. I don't want this to be too jarring. Drop me an email, melbournebreakfast at abc.net.au. Right now, swooning romantic Hollywood-style 1930s jazz is the tone we are setting because that's the one thing I've learnt. I've learnt that you need to please the people. But it's hard to learn things when you're an adult. You feel like you do most of your learning at school and you just move on, don't you? One man who doesn't think that's the case is Australian writer and school principal John Marsden. The school he runs has been described as somewhere between Steiner and The Simpsons, and that's by the man himself. John Marsden, thanks for coming on the Snack Pack. Is it harder to learn when you get older? No, I think it gets easier. When, as you get older, you possibly get more self-discipline. That's often the path that people are on. But also, your motivation may start to evolve into something that's more worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And motivation is the kind of secret word in education, which even a lot of teachers don't seem very aware of, especially in secondary schools. But if the motivation's strong and uh, really heartfelt, then you'll be able to cope with almost anything and overcome almost any learning challenge. That's actually uh, relevant for me and many listeners, no doubt, because I remember year 10, year 11 was where I started really enjoying school because you get to pick your subjects then. So I was doing politics and Mm. I was doing literature and I was dropping the things that that I sucked at. So you're suggesting that in Mm. adulthood we can actually drill down even further into the things that interest us? Yeah, and sometimes there's even a more abstract and almost nebulous motivation, which is that you want to learn about life and about the world and about the universe. And that can be very powerful. And that really was the way it worked out for me. So uh, I suspect I'm not alone in that uh, when, in that way. When was your last, what was your last formal education, John? About 1980, roughly, where I was doing a correspondence BA, Bachelor of Arts, through New England University in New South Wales. And I was so motivated. I actually did the extra reading. You know how they have the the list of recommended reading under the mandatory reading list. I was reading all that stuff as well as the stuff we were forced to read and loving it. And um, I just was eating it up. I couldn't get enough. I was just gobbling it up. And And, uh, and sending in assignments? Was it all by correspondence? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had one week or 10 days or something every year on campus, but the rest of it was all done by correspondence. No so, internet in those days. 42 years later, maths is not my strong point, so correct me if I'm wrong, then <laughs> what are you learning now? Do you have any time and motivation and inspiration to be learning things alongside life, family and jobs? Uh, yeah, I mean, books have always been my main source of knowledge or learning or information, I think, and even understanding. And so over the holidays, yeah, I was reading prodigiously in different areas and uh I'm still highly motivated by reading. So in particular, I read a book called The Secret Barrister, which I've never heard of. I just found it by accident. And um, it's a unusual book because it's written anonymously by a British barrister, and he's describing the workings of the British legal system in a very comprehensive, very thoughtful, very balanced way. But my God, by the end of the book, I was sort of gasping for breath and thinking, wow, I thought the the education system needed some reform. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the legal system in England and to a considerable extent in Australia is just not functioning the way it should. So is there any hope in this book or is it just a, a, a oh, yeah. portrait? 
he's got um, he offers possibilities and mm-hmm. and ways forward, and they do have some things that are different to us. I mean, quite a number of their magistrates are volunteers who have a few days training, and they just then sit on the bench and start hearing cases. And I <laughs> thought I never knew that. I was astonished. And I- he said that quite uh, it's quite likely to be true that many of the volunteers represent a particular demographic they they're from a certain age group they tend to be have a certain um, racial background and so they perhaps lack understanding of the lives of other people who live very different lives to the ones that they do you're listening and I am chatting to John Marsden author and principal we're talking learning that's what he's been learning recently and more broadly learning in adulthood hey John I I feel like to an extent as well, there's an act of humility involved in learning when you're older because you get to a certain age, even from where I'm at, I regularly feel stupid or ignorant and I've got to sort of push through that to even feel like I might learn something new, like taking up the kayak that I did this year. Do you think that's an impediment to adulthood or is that just more of a personality trait that some people will have and others aren't burdened by? Yeah, it's more a personality trait, I think, but it can <laughs> change. You can sort of work on that and... Uh, become aware of it and start to realise that it's an impediment and you need to take a different approach. But, yeah, at 14 or 15, I knew everything. Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. But yeah, that sort of somehow just diminished as the years went on. And um, I'm now uh, – I know Dame Edna Everidge talked about her mother being in a home for the perpetually bewildered, and I feel that that's, that's perhaps where I belong. I'd be comfortable there. The Snack Pack. And there we have it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I vote one this music. If I don't get more than 10 complaints about this music this week from the subscribers, then I'm going to take that as a crushing victory. Of course, if you do support it or if you do want to rate the podcast in general, look, I know it's annoying, but it actually genuinely helps. So jump on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and give the show a rating or indeed a nice comment if you'd like or just tell your friends or just keep on listening. You can also listen to me live via the ABC Listen app every weekday morning for breakfast, wherever you may be. Thank you to my beautiful radio team and in particular to Ross Kavanagh for stitching this beautiful little beast together. Have a wonderful week ahead and I'll be back bright and early with a brand new podcast for you next week. No, I won't because I'm still here because this is huge. Sorry, this has just landed on my desk right now. Apparently, there's a survey that's just come out from England that says that they no longer want to come to Australia. Like, we used to be number one on their tourist destination list, and now we're behind, let me check, Africa, behind Europe, behind Asia. I think we're literally behind every other continent in the world. That's no good. What's gone wrong? How can we fix it? One man who straddles both worlds and might be able to offer at least, if not a solution, perhaps a reason for this pull back from the motherland is host of ABC TV's The Last Leg and one of this country's very favourite comedy sons, Adam Hills. Hello over there in London, Adam. I forgot I was on radio for a second and I waved. Well, look, wave away, buddy, because I just called you our favourite son. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if it's too early or too late for either of us to be able to use that sort of language. <laughs> how are you and how is London and what have we gone and done wrong? Okay, firstly, I am fine. Secondly, London is cold. And, okay, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time here in the UK and I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm across people's opinions mm-hmm. and, and what they think of Australia. And I think I can narrow down what Australia's... Why, why English people, British people, don't want to go to Australia at the moment. Yeah. 
It's because they can't get in. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure who did this survey and whether they've looked at the fact that. English people can't literally get into Australia at the moment. It's like saying, why did no one want to go to East Germany in the 70s? Like, it's closed. 